can open up your scriptures to that very text that um, Paul just read so well for us. Thank you, Paul, again for reading that. Uh, we're going to be at the end of Galatians 2 this morning. That's where we find ourselves. If you haven't been with us for a few weeks now, uh, we've been going through this wonderful book of the Bible, this wonderful letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, we are going to talk about a subject. You see it on the screen. You see it on the front of your bulletin today. That's something you may be tempted to just tune out for. Uh, it may sound really doctrinal, theological, and uh, maybe you feel like that is not something that, that you are naturally as inclined to as sermons that may be more ground level, practical. I hope it can be both. Uh, but to, to persuade you that this topic of justification uh, is important, that it's vital, I wanted to read to you two quotes uh, from very famous pastors from several centuries ago, uh, both who were part of the Reformation, leading the Reformation, uh, John Calvin and Martin Luther. Uh, so you're not just taking my word for this. Uh, but John Calvin, talking about the subject of justification, uh, he said one thing as he was dialoguing with a, uh, a leader within the Catholic Church. He called it the first and keenest subject of controversy between the Catholics and what would become to known as the Protestants. The first and keenest subject of controversy. But I think we'll have this quote on the screen from John Calvin. He said this, talking about the subject of justification. He said, Wherever the knowledge of it is taken away, the glory of Christ is extinguished, religion abolished, the church destroyed, and the hope of salvation utterly overthrown. Now, that was John Calvin saying, if this doctrine just loses its place, if we get it wrong, all these things are compromised, even the glory of Christ being first and foremost. And then Martin Luther, uh, he would often be a little more punchy in the things that he would say. Uh, he has, is stated to have said something like this. If he didn't say these exact words, it was something like it, that justification is the article by which the church stands or falls. That's how important this doctrine was to these men and to many more and to countless others who came before them, who've come after them. It's, it's vitally important to me and to our pastors as we think about the life of our church but even if Martin Luther said that, even if John Calvin said that, even if I said that to you, hey, this is important, we could be wrong. But the one who's not wrong is the Spirit of God. And the reason that Martin Luther thought this was such a big deal, the reason John Calvin thought it was such a big deal, the reason that I think that it is such a big deal is because the Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to make it a big deal. Because as he's writing these churches that we know as the churches in Galatia, that he's writing them this letter we get to read parts of and process this morning, this was a huge deal to him. Enough that he just comes guns blazing at these people because they're starting to believe wrong things about justification. They're starting to get it wrong. They're starting to believe distorted views about it. And the reason it's important to, to me as a pastor is because it was important to the Apostle Paul. And the reason it was important to him is because it was important to the Spirit of God. And he recorded these things for us to know. And in all the letters that Paul wrote, we have a bunch of them. We get to read them. I hope you read them on your own. At times, we get to walk through them as a church together sometimes. But in all his letters... The book of Galatians is the one that honed in most directly on this issue of justification, of what it is, what it's not, why it's important, why we need to fight for it, why we need to strive to get it right. And even within this book of Galatians, the part we're in today, chapter 2, verse 15 through 21, uh, this is within this letter probably the most direct, most pointed place that he talks about it. 
Uh, and then the rest of the letter is going to be unfolding some of these teachings, elaborating on them, giving some details from the Old Testament, confronting some things more specifically. But this is the point in the letter where he turns and faces directly this issue of justification and talks about what it is, what it's not, why it is so important to them, why he is coming at them so directly, so uh, forcefully in this letter. And so the questions I want us to think about today is why is justification, what is justification? That's what we'll ask first, I guess. That's the most important. What is it? And then why is it important? Because even though this doctrine was so important to Paul, it was so important to reformers, uh, it's so important to many uh, people in our culture as Christians, some of us may not even know what justification even is. We might see it in the Bible sometimes. We might see that, oh, this was a big deal to them. But we don't even know what they're talking about. We don't even know what it means to be justified, let alone why it's a big deal. And so I, I want to start first by just talking about the, the issue of justification, what it even is. Some of you may know this. This will be a reminder to you if you already do. Some of you, this may be new to you, but this is vitally important that we understand what it is and then we'll, that we understand how we receive it. So what it is, we'll talk about first. If you look at verses 16 and 17, which if you have a copy of scriptures, I would very much encourage you to open them today and every Sunday as we gather. Do not just take our word for things. Like open it up, read it for yourself, see what these authors were saying themselves. But if you look at verses 16 and 17, there's multiple times, even within those two verses, that short segment of this letter, there's three times that Paul uses the word justified. Boom, boom, boom. Like he, This is what he is talking about in this section of the letter. He said in verse 16 that we know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so he, he, we'll talk more about how we're justified, what we're justified by, but he's very clearly talking about being justified, receiving justification. As an aside, this part of this letter, I'll just acknowledge, is a, it's a bit of a transitionary part in this letter. If you were here last Sunday, Jake did an excellent job of preaching, opening the word for us uh, from the first part of Galatians 2. And what Paul was doing there in that part of the letter, as he's writing these churches of Galatia, he's reminding them of some stuff that happened years before uh, in a town called Antioch, even between him and the apostle Peter, where I would have loved to be a fly on the wall and what happened there, because he's telling them, I had to publicly, directly confront and correct the Apostle Peter because he was getting these things wrong. He, he, he was starting to live out of step with the truths we know about justification. And the, where, the verses we're in today, some of your translations will probably continue this whole section, 15 to 21, as if it's still a quote from what he had started back in verse 14, uh, where he was recounting what he had said to Peter. So some... Uh, translators think what Paul read for us, what we're looking at today, is just a fuller quote of what Paul had said to him back then, back at Antioch. Some people think, no, this is where Paul's just turned more direct attention to these people in Galatia. He's just starting to talk more to them. Either way, I don't know, to be honest. I think either one could be right. But either way, he's making a point to the Galatian believers about these things. Whether it was what he said to Peter back in Antioch, or whether it's what he would say directly to them, it's the same truth. So that's somewhat irrelevant where the quotation marks are in your translations if you're wondering that. 
So justification is a big deal here, and I want to give you a simple definition of what Paul means, what this word means when the New Testament writers would write it, when they would include it in their letters. And I think we'll have this on the screen. Justification, if you want to jot this down, because it's important we know what it even is, it's the act of God, it's something that God does, the act of God declaring a person to be righteous in his sight. That's what it means to justify. That's what justification is. It's an act of God declaring a person to be righteous in his sight. I would, I would note here, because this has been an enormous controversy in church history, it still is today, whether people want to acknowledge it or not, there is a huge distinction here in what justification is. Justification is not God making us more righteous and then seeing us that way. Hey, I, I've, I've graciously made these people more righteous. Isn't that wonderful what I've done in them? So I see them as they are. This is God declaring something to be true about people who are not righteous. It's him looking at wicked people like us, still sinful people like us, who, yes, we're growing, we're becoming more righteous, but he looks at us and sees sinners still. He sees our sin, but he declares us to be righteous. He says, this brother, this sister, this human being that I made, though they are an enemy, though they rejected me, though they walked away from me, I am declaring them to be righteous in spite of themselves. I am choosing to see them that way. That is what it means to justify. It's not that he makes us righteous and sees us that way, but he declares us righteous. And that may not seem like a big deal to you, but it is of enormous significance, and I'll try to help you see why. But this issue, we'll, we'll talk in a moment, because this, what Paul's really trying to get at is how you are justified, how God can declare you to be righteous. But I want you to think first, why is this even such a big deal to think about justification, of God declaring you to be righteous? I would challenge you to think of what might be a more important question you could ask and have an answer to than how does God see me? How does God view me? Like, I would love some, if you've got a better que a question you think is more important than that, I would love to hear. But that, there is almost no question you can possibly think of as how does God, the creator, the one who I must answer to, how does he view me? What does he think about me? Like when he looks at me, what does he see? What does he say is true about me? There is no more question that you could possibly ask. No, no person whose affirmation you could seek that's more important than that. We're in 2020. I am not looking forward to election cycles that have already started. Uh, there's debates and things happening already, which we can talk about another time sometime if you want to. Not from this uh, but people seek, when politicians run for office, they often, this is the season where they're seeking endorsements from people, right? Where they're seeking people to, to give a, a thumbs up to them. Hey, I'm behind this lady. I'm behind this guy. This is the, we're going to see this over and over in 2020 as people seeking endorsements of other people, of powerful people, of influential people who say, I've got this person's back. I support them. They are good. So we're going to see that a lot this year, but I will tell you there is no person on this planet, no person whose opinion matters more, nobody who holds more sway than the creator of the universe. And you should seek his affirmation. You should care, what does he think? I don't care what other people think of me. They can think I'm a fool, they probably will think I'm a fool, but what does he think of me? 
what does he declare to be true about me? That is what we're talking about when we're talking about the issue of justification. We care so much often in our culture. My heart can be bent this way. We care so much about what fellow human beings think of us. What does this person think about me? What does my wife think of me? What do my kids think of me? What do my neighbors think of me? What do my parents think of me? Are they proud of me? We, there's so many people whose opinions we care about, and that can be okay at times. That can be honorable in some sense. But we must care first and foremost, what does God say? How does he see me? How does he view me? Because he is my creator and he is my judge. And he's your creator and he's your judge. So if you have never thought about that before, may today be the day you actually ask that question. What does God declare about me? What does God say is true about me? And the fact that anyone can be justified, the fact that you could be justified and declared righteous by the fact that I could be declared righteous by God should just blow our minds that that's even possible. Because we have rebelled against him. If he just looked at us on our own, if he just like stood you in front of him and did an honest evaluation of your life, and if you were honest and could see things the right way, you would agree with him that you are guilty. You are not righteous. I'm not righteous. And so the very fact that God, who is just and fair and righteous, that he could look at you, that he could look at me and say, righteous, righteous. Like, I view you as righteous. That should blow our minds that that is even possible. That justification could be by anyone. That it could happen at all. should make us marvel and wonder that we could be justified. And there is much at stake if we get this question how can I be justified? How can I be declared righteous? Because there's tons of people, maybe some of us in this room, who think we're righteous on our own. If you ask the average person on the street and say, what does God think of you? Some of them may be hard on themselves and think, man, I, I, don't, I really don't know. But most people will say, I think God sees me for who I really am, and they mean that as a good thing. Think God gives me the benefit of the doubt and maybe I make some mistakes, but I think he'll, he'll forgive me. I think he'll reward me. I think I will get into heaven. Friends, there is much at stake if they are wrong. There's much at stake if you are wrong about how God can or cannot declare you righteous, how you can or cannot be justified in his sight. And that is why Paul goes to great lengths because if we get this wrong, we will be doomed we come to him thinking he'll judge us in one way, thinking that he'll uh, show mercy to us for some means or that he'll just see us as the good person we think we are, we will be doomed forever. And so will our neighbors. It doesn't matter what we, ways we think God should judge us, things we think he should say are true about us. What matters is what he will say, what he will declare about you, what he will declare about your neighbor. That, there is much at stake about this issue of justification. That's why Martin Luther would say that the church rises or falls if we get it right or if we get it wrong. Because if we get it wrong, we may deceive ourselves, we may deceive others, but God will not be deceived. And he will not change the way he operates just because we thought he should operate some other way. So he can justify us. And Paul in this text tells us how he can justify us, by what means 
he can justify us and praise God that he can and that he is willing to and that he does declare some of us as human beings righteous because we do not deserve it. And so I want to show you a few things in this text under two headings. One is going to be the heading justified by faith in Christ. That's where we're going to start. The second one later is going to be unified by faith with Christ. But I want you to see first the means by which Paul says we can be justified. How does it actually happen? What's the instrument? How does it come to be? How can God look at a sinful person like you, a sinful person like me, and say, I forgive you? There are three times uh, that I referenced in verses, or mainly in verse 16, I guess it is, where justified is used. But in each of those, you'll notice, and I think this is true in most of your translations, there will be the word by that comes after, or around it. That you're justified by something, or you're not justified by something. And so what Paul is trying to get at with them is he's trying to help them think what means does God justify by, and what means does he not justify by? What means by which does he declare to somebody to be righteous, and what means by which will he refuse to declare somebody as righteous. Paul had taught these churches. The churches of Galatia were churches that Paul had helped start, that he had set the the groundwork, he had laid the groundwork for them, and he had taught them several years before he wrote this letter, he had taught them, you are justified by faith in Christ. That is how you're justified, he had told them, is by placing your hope, placing your trust totally in the person of Jesus and what he's done for you in his life, his death, his resurrection your faith in him. That is how God will justify you. But what had happened and why he gets so fired up in this letter, and we've talked about this, we'll continue to talk about it, is that there had come these Jewish teachers into this church after he left, these Jews by birth that he references in verse 15, these ethnically Jewish people who loved Jesus, it seems like, on some level, who had a high view of him. But they had started to teach this church. They had started to either imply to them or sometimes maybe directly say to them, you know, Paul is not actually right about that. Like, yeah, you can be justified in some sense by faith, but what you really need to do to make it full, make it complete, make that final judgment and declaration of God sure, is you need, you Gentile people, you not Jewish people of Galatia, you need to come underneath the law of Moses that God gave. You need to start doing things like circumcising your sons and celebrating certain festivals and holidays and not eating certain things. And you need to start doing the things God's told us to do in what we would call the Old Testament. You need to stop doing the things he told us to stop. And that is how you will ultimately be justified on the last day. When they were thinking about justification, they're thinking of the the declaration of God, not even just in the moment, like in the here and now, but the declaration of God that will come at the final day, the final judgment. And they're saying, hey, Gentiles of Galatia, we know you love Jesus, we know you trust him, but if you want to guarantee that he will declare you righteous on that day, when the final judgment comes, when that trumpet blows that we sang about earlier, if you want to know that judgment is not going to be on your head and God is going to declare you righteous, then you better start obeying the law that he gave you. So you will be justified in a sense by your faith in Christ and your works of the law. You'll see he references that word, that phrase several times in this text. And Paul is trying to to blow that idea out of the water. I was talking to Matt Harmon. Uh, He's not here. 
Damascus New Testament professor, uh, Grace, he's going to get to preach three sermons from Galatians in a few weeks. But I was talking to him uh, about this a few weeks ago, and he was using this analogy, which I found to be really helpful, of uh, how they were looking ahead to the final judgment of God and wanting to make sure that that was secure. And he was imagining a courtroom scene where there's a judge who has heard a case. He's, he's heard from the defendant. He, he knows all the facts. And he's already decided in his mind uh, that this person is, is innocent, that he's going to declare them not guilty. It's made up in his mind. But he hasn't yet gone out into the courtroom to publicly, finally declare it once for all. That, in some ways, that little scenario, that little wiggle time between when, when he had decided and when it's finally declared, uh, that person's uh, not guilty verdict is finally declared, declared is kind of how these teachers in Galatia were imagining the situation with these people. Is that, yeah, maybe in some sense God has already declared you to be righteous. God's kind of made up his mind already, but if you want to make sure that when it comes final and it's publicly declared once for all at the end of time, then in this little bit of leeway time, you need to come under the Old Testament law just to make sure things don't get messed up, to make sure that God continues to see you as righteous, that he continues to approve of you. That's somewhat what was going on with these people. So they would tell these Galatian believers that they needed to eat like Jews, they needed to, to live like Jews, celebrate like Jews. And if they didn't, they were implying to them, then, then you are an outsider to God. There is no way God can declare you to be righteous off of that alone. If you're not even willing to come under his law, if you're not willing to come under the rules that he has given to us. And to be fair, I want to be fair uh, to these false teachers. I could see why they may be tempted to think that. Because we may be quick to dismiss Old Testament law as like, oh, like why on earth would we try to follow that? Like that's so few thousand years ago that's so foreign culture them. these were people who were born as Jews and they know God gave us these laws these weren't just things we made up they weren't just things that we concocted in our minds these came from God on tablets of stone to Moses miraculously on a mountain long ago and he told us to live by it and there's even text if you read through the book of Deuteronomy for example if you read Deuteronomy 6 this is in the Old Testament long ago in the, under the old covenant, if you read Deuteronomy 6, 24 and 25, this is what they had recorded in the scriptures. That the Lord commanded us, this is the Jews, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And listen to this. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. That's in the Bible. Texts like that where God had given them the law, given them these rules and boundaries. And I would note the word all in that text. That if we do all of these commandments, it will be righteousness for us. And so they had this idea baked into their, their mindsets that we must follow these things. If we have any hope to have the righteousness of God declared over us, we must follow these things. This is not optional for us. We must follow it. But Paul emphatically in this text in Galatians says, that is wrong. He says a few times that you are not justified by works of the law, verse 16. Present tense. Nobody in the here and now, right now, is justified by keeping the works of the law, Paul says. 
And he's even talking about the last day at the end of verse 16. He says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Like so here and now, Galatian believers, then and there when Jesus returns and you're judged finally someday, never here, now, then, there will your works of the law contribute anything to you being declared righteous by Jesus. You could try and try and try. You could get it like 99%. You would not, I promise you, if you tried. But if you could keep it as well as possible, it will not contribute to your justification a bit. Not a grain of sand on the scale. Like God will not, now will not ever declare you righteous because you have obeyed his law. And he wants them to know this. He wants them to not buy into it. And he wants them to know that is true whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. Right? He said, I love that in verse 16 he says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Right after he made this statement about Jews and Gentile sinners, he's saying a person, a human being, whether you're an American or you're a Galatian, uh, you will not now or ever be justified by works of the law. Doug Moo said this, that Paul was not arguing that Gentiles should be included uh, with the Jews and the people of God, he's arguing rather that Jews should be included with Gentiles and the mass of ordinary humanity that is guilty before God, that can do nothing to make God see us as righteous. So Paul's making clear you are not justified by works. That is impossible. No one is, no one will be justified by keeping the law, even the law that God given, but what he says we are justified by is faith in Christ. Right there in the middle of verse 16, he says that we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Earlier in that verse, he said that we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So the way someone is justified, the way they receive a, a proclamation of righteousness by God is by placing their faith in Christ, not by keeping the law that God gave. And this would have, it would have blown people's minds. It would have made them stop and wrestle with these things because for so long, Jews had assumed they would be justified by keeping the law. And now they're told, no, that cannot happen, that will not happen. You, if you're to be justified, it's by placing your faith by identifying with him. By trusting, I would say there's a trusting in the work of someone else. Not in your own. By putting your trust, your hope in the work of someone else and particularly his work on the cross. His death that he died in our place, right? That's how where Paul eventually gets in this text today. In verse 20, he talks about the crucifixion of Christ. He talks about the death of Christ and even talks alludes to at least the resurrection of Jesus, saying, the life that I now live, I, I live by faith in the Son of God and says that Christ lives in me, the one who's been raised from the dead. He says in verse um, 20 that Christ gave himself for me. That's talking about the cross. It's talking about the death of Christ, which is so central in Paul's teaching and his theology is that the way that you are justified 
It's not by you doing certain things. It's not by you achieving certain things. It's because of something Jesus has done for you. Because when he went to the cross, Jesus was the one person who had obeyed the law perfectly. Who actually had gained a standing of righteousness before his heavenly father. But when he went to the cross, he took the sins of people like you and me on himself. He wasn't just suffering at the hands of Caesar and of Pilate and Herod and all these people who were enemies of his, humanly speaking. He was suffering at the hand of God the Father for our sins. Our sins were laid upon him. They were counted to him, and he suffered the full weight of judgment and punishment and God's wrath for those sins on himself. So that that judgment may no longer be looming over our heads. That guilt may no longer be stuck to us, but it was removed from us and placed upon him, and he bore the penalty fully. That is how we can be made righteous, because of what he has done. And when he died, in a sense, and we'll talk more about this as we go through this Galatians, it's as if the, the structure of the law that God had built up just came crumbling down. That, that he was breaking down walls of division. He was breaking down the, this facade of these laws that people think we've got to live within this to please God to get our righteousness in order Christ is, is breaking those things down saying no the way you receive righteousness is through what I've done no matter where you were born no matter what time you were born no matter what your family's like no matter what your history is like no matter what sins on your, are on your record the way that those things are expunged the way that, that you can be declared righteous is because of what I've done for you not because of what you do to Paul wants them to be clear on this, that it is faith in Christ that justifies you. Not just faith in God as if, if I just believe God exists, then I'm made righteous in his sight. Most people on the planet believe God exists in some way, shape, or form. That does not justify a person to think God exists, to think that God is good, to think that God is faithful. Those things do not justify a person. He says what justifies a person is their faith in Jesus Christ. Their casting of themselves upon him and what he's done in their place. The specific person of Jesus, the specific work that he did for them upon the cross. So that is how I am justified. And that is how if you are justified and declared by God as righteous today, or righteous on that last day, or any time in between, the way that you can be declared righteous is never by keeping the law of God. It is by placing your faith in his son Jesus. And this has immense relevance for how we live our lives, for how we think about ourselves. It's not just some abstract idea that kind of looms out there that just stays in my head. This should have a huge impact on us to know that I am justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. I would say two things. One is that this should have uh, an immense impact on us in making us humble people. Christians sometimes can be some of the most cocky people that they are because they think we've, rec we've received the status of holy and righteous before God, and you haven't. And we can start to act prideful and cocky towards people who are not united in Christ. As if we've gained that standing. As if the things that we've done have achieved that as if we're better than them, as if we're more holy than them, and we are not. That's where it's important. God doesn't 
make us more righteous and say, oh, look how righteous they've become. Now I approve of them. If that was the case, maybe we could be prophets. But he looks at us as sinful people and says, I'll declare you as righteous in Christ because of the work of Jesus, because of my son, because he suffered for you. That should melt away pride in our hearts. It should dissolve any sort of idea that we have a leg up on other human beings, that we're better than other human beings. The only way you are seen by God, declared by God as righteous is because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you've done. And if we sense pridefulness growing up in us as God's people, we should remind each other of those truths. That brother, you are not justified by your own works. You are justified by the finished work. Stop acting like you're justified by your own works. Stop acting like you have gained some good standing with this doctrine of justification by faith, it grates against us as human beings and our desire to prove ourselves. Our desire to show, man, I am good, I, I'm worthy, I, 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 I have self-control, I have gifts to give, I have, I have goodness in with, within me, please see it, everybody. We have that baked into us where we're always trying to prove ourselves to people. And God can be the ultimate example of that where we start to act like, I have to prove myself to him. I've got to demonstrate to him my worthiness. I've got to demonstrate to him that what he did for me is, was worth it. And this doctrine of justification by faith cuts against that because it reminds us you can't prove yourself to people. That you can't bring justification to yourself by just working harder and being more godly. You cannot. That is an impossibility. Stop trying to do that. And embrace the fact that you can do nothing to contribute to your justification. It is granted to you. It is a work Christ on your behalf. And it's something that God declares to be true about you, not something that you prove to be true about yourself. But it should make us some of the most humble people on the planet, this doctrine of justification by faith. But it also should, should change, and I was already alluding to this, but change our motivation for godly living. Sometimes if we forget this truth that I'm justified by faith in Christ, we can start to look at the Christian life the same way that these false teachers were looking at their life under the old covenant, where I'm, I'm doing these things that God told me to do, but I'm doing it to secure my place. I'm doing it to guarantee that on the last day, he will judge me, he'll declare me as righteous. And we just essentially replace the Old Testament and seeking to, to justify ourselves under the works of the law, and then we try to just justify ourselves by the works of the New Testament. We say, if I just do these things, if I just live out the Sermon on the Mount, if I just obey what the commands that Paul gave, I'm proving myself to God, I'm securing my place at the final judgment. But that should never, ever, ever be our motivation for Godliness. To prove ourselves to Him, to demonstrate our worthiness to Him. We should, when we embrace this truth of justification by faith in Christ, and that being our only means, it should translate into our Godliness, our, our efforts to to live for the Lord, to be one that's seeking to honor him, not to persuade him. Just seeking to tell him thank you instead of fear. But that this I am, man, thanks so much for what Jesus has done for me. I want to live this way. Not, not saying, man, I'm going to try, God. Please forgive me. I hope you forgive me. Like, I'm going to work hard to show you. It's saying thank you, not please. When we try to live a life of godliness, it should change. This doctrine should how we live, the motivation that we have as we seek to live for God. And I'll just say as an aside before I move on to the last point, 
that this should this doctrine of justification by faith should be baked into our evangelism. It should be baked into when we tell people the good news of Jesus, we should try everything in our power to avoid communicating to them that the way you're going to be forgiven, the way God's going to declare you as righteous is by you doing X, Y, and Z. By you starting to go to church, by you starting to read your Bible, by you starting to do these things. When we tell people the good news, we must start here, that the way you are forgiven, the way you are declared righteous by God is not by doing all these things. These are important. They will come. And we disciple people towards those things. But the way that you are justified is by the works of Christ. Cast yourself upon him. That's what we need to call people to do, is not to clean themselves up and then tell them the good news that they can be forgiven, but tell them right out front, right at the beginning, the way, friend, you are declared to be righteous is by something somebody else has done. And to make that immensely clear to them, because that is unique amongst the religions of the world. Every other religion, whatever they are, they will teach that person you're talking to to try to gain their way to try to earn their way to God, to prove their way, their worthiness before their creator. But the Christian gospel is one that Christ has already gained your righteousness. Embrace it. Put your trust in him and what he's done for you. And that must be what we proclaim to people. Paul is wanting them to see that they are justified by faith in Christ. But I want to briefly mention what I would see in verses 19 through 21, especially 19 and 20. This idea of being not just justified by faith in Christ, but being united by faith with Christ. It's really beautiful. Paul elaborates on this in some other letters that he writes. Or, uh, that when we get to those letters, I'll, I'll preach them more thoroughly uh, whenever that comes. Uh, but here he, he th- and these are the memory verses, verses 20 and 21, that we're encouraging you to work on uh, this month and in the months ahead as we finish out this book, verses 20 and 21. These are such rich, and a vivid picture that Paul paints here because he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I would say this. The reason that Paul has such confidence and such clarity that his justification, the de- God's declaration of him as righteous, the reason he has such confidence and security about that, such certainty about that, is because he knows that Christ has already done the work, and he knows that he has been united with Christ. It's not as if Christ is just someone who in a distant way suffered for him years before, decades before outside Jerusalem, and that he's now some distant person resurrected from the dead and up in heaven, as if he's just aloof, that he's distant from me, and I just have to, to hope that he's willing to, to stand up for me. But no, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. So what Paul is saying is true, is that in a very real sense, as Christ died upon the cross, it wasn't just for some generic cluster of sins of humanity. I was counted as one with him. In a, in a mysterious sense, I was counted as one with him. And my sinful self was put to death on the cross. My sins were laid upon him, but more than that, even as a person, I was identified with him. So that as he was put to death, 
as, as he was put to complete death, suffering the judgment of God, so was my sinful self. So was my sinful self. It was put to death, done forever. It no longer even exists, that old self. I was crucified with him. My sin, my old self, my old being was crucified with him. That old man that had been under the law, that had been trying so hard to obey it and, and gain righteous standing with God, that person was done away with. That person was crucified with Christ, that he bore the full weight of my sins. I was identified with him. But he doesn't end there, right? He says that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so it's not just that he was united with him at the cross, but he's also indicating here and reminding them Jesus was raised from the dead. He didn't just die for me and stay dead as if that would give me some hope. But God raised him back up to life. And as he did, he also raised me up to life. Like he's made me into a new person. It's not just something I have to wait for in the future as if Jesus is just some judge I have to wait to face someday. As if I'm distant from him, but he says, I've been united with him. I am united with him right now. He, he died for me, and as he did, I died with him. And he was raised for me, and as he was raised, I was raised with him. I've been united with him. I've become one with him. And so, when God looks at Paul, when God looks at you, if you place your faith in Christ, God sees you as united with him. He doesn't just see you as some free agent standing on your own. He sees you as united with Christ. And he sees your sins have already been punished fully. They are no longer on your head. They are no longer on your record. They have been removed from you. They have been changed. And when he looks at you, he sees you as alive in Christ, as one who's been made new, as one. When you're united with Jesus, think about this. You have a righteous person, a right, the one righteous person that's ever existed. You have that person at the right hand of God the Father right now. And when God the Father looks at you, he sees you in Christ. He sees a fully righteous person when he looks at you. But it's not because you're righteous. It's because Jesus is. And now he lives in you. And he is slowly making you more righteous. He's slowly growing you in godliness. But the reason God the Father can declare you to be fully righteous is because Jesus is fully righteous. And he sees you in him. This is so important for us to understand because if we tend, we tend to do this, we see Jesus as great and lofty and wonderful and he's crucified and he was raised, but we see him as some distant person that I have to face someday. You see him as that, as opposed to somebody that you are united with right now, you will always see him as someone to fear. You will always wonder if you will measure up. You will always wonder if God the Father, as he looks at you, will truly see you as righteous. But if you remember and know the things that Paul is trying to get into their hearts here, that I have been crucified with him, and the one who was raised is now living in me, you have confidence. You have assurance that as God looks at me right now today, as he looks at me tomorrow, as he looks at me 5,000 years from now, he will see Christ. 
And praise God that he does. That is how I can be declared righteous, because I've been united by faith with Christ. I've been made one with him. So this ought to give us, the relevance this should have for us, this idea of being united with Christ, is that it should give us assurance. It should give us confidence of our standing. Not because we've become more godly, but because we have been declared righteous. I would summarize the sermon this way as a, as a stated prayer. That if God, I would say this is true of every person listening. If God is to declare you righteous, it will because, be because of your union with his son, not your obedience to his command. That is true of every person in this room. That is true of every person on this planet. That is true of every person who will ever live until the return of Christ. If you are to be declared righteous by God, and we said that is the most important thing that can happen to you. If that is going to happen to you, it is because you have been united with his son. The one who died for you. The one who loved you and gave himself for you. You've been united with him. The one who died and is raised. It will not be because you've become more obedient not be because you've proved yourself right, but because Christ suffered in order for you. And that is good news, that we can be, can be justified, that we can be justified by faith in Christ. Now in our legal system, I kind of referenced it last bit ago, but in our legal system, the best that a defendant can be found, the best outcome, at least in a criminal trial, that a person can that they are found, what is it, not, not guilty, right? That's the best that someone can be found, that they, they are, are viewed by the court, viewed by the judge, viewed by the jury as not guilty. But in courts of law, at least in America, there is no verdict ever given of innocence and certainly no verdict ever given of righteousness. We may, based on evidence, be persuaded that this person is not guilty of the crime that they've committed, but we will never have the audacity to declare them righteous, to actually positively declare somebody righteous. But in the courtroom of God, we can be much better than this not guilty. If all we had was the cross, and we were still distant from Christ, then that may be the best that we could have sins have been removed from you, you are not guilty. Christ has died. But because Christ has also been raised, and we by faith can be united with him, God can look at us and see the righteousness of his son. And he can declare us more than not guilty, he can declare us righteous. Not because of 